Good morning. Happy All Saints Eve, All Hallows Eve, October 31st. As you know, uh, today is Reformation Sunday, and where I'd like to start for our teaching this morning is from the New Testament account, according to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. This is Romans 1, 16 and 17. This was highly impactful and influential on Martin Luther as he was thinking through things. So here's God's word for us this morning. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I like to pray at the beginning of sermons, and we'll do that today, but a little bit different. Um, We'll use two prayers that Martin Luther prayed. I'll pray the first one kind of by myself, and then I'll put the words on the screen, and you pray the second part of the prayer with me, okay? So let's pray. Lord God, you have appointed me as pastor in your church, but you see how unsuited I am to meet so great and difficult a task. If I had lacked your help, I would have ruined things long ago. Therefore, I call upon you. I wish to devote my mouth and my heart to you. I shall teach your people. Now please join with me in praying the words on the screen. Eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give us your Holy Spirit who writes the preached word onto our hearts. May we receive and believe it and be cheered and comforted by it in eternity. Glorify your word in our hearts and make it so bright and warm that we might find pleasure in it. Through your Holy Spirit, think what is right and by your powerful word, for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. All right, so this Martin Luther character, five quick minutes on who he was and what happened. Some of you will be very familiar with this. Literally volumes, maybe libraries have written about this man. Some say that more words of Martin Luther have been written down, recorded than any other person ever in the history of the world. Some would say that no one has had more of an impact on the shaping of Western civilization in the last 500 years than this man. And we certainly could argue that. But let's break it down into kind of a five-minute brief history lesson. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic monk of the Augustinian order in northern Germany in the early 1500s. He was a contemporary of people like William Shakespeare, Christopher Columbus, and King Henry VIII. They were around at the same time. Now, Martin Luther, as a Roman Catholic monk, understood the Catholic teaching that you must do penance. You go to the priest and confess your sins, and he absolves you. He reminds you of the forgiveness, but now you've got to prove that you were heartbroken over your sins. So you do um, acts. You, you repeat prayers over and over or different sayings. And you could take it to a deeper extreme. Martin Luther knew the depth of his sin, and he figured me just saying these prayers over and over enough won't prove to God how sorry I am. So he would literally whip himself. He would starve himself. He would be just about naked in a freezing cold monk's cell for days to kind of um, prove to God how broken over his sin he was. And he was miserable. He also notices the Roman Catholic teaching on indulgences. That's what um, Laura just referenced, those coins. There was this idea, this teaching, that if you gave money to the church, it would lessen your or other people's time in a place called purgatory. This is not a biblical teaching. This is a teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, that after you die, you're certainly not good enough for heaven. 
So you've got to go to a place called purgatory. It's got the word purge in it, right, to get the rest of the sin out of you, to burn it off. And some people who are really good might spend a year in purgatory. The lesser people might literally spend a million years in purgatory. This is their teaching. But as you gave money to the church, you could reduce your time in purgatory. So maybe you'd only have to spend a year there or a couple of months. Well, he's a highly esteemed seminary professor. He teaches the Bible, mostly the Psalms. Some people say that Martin Luther had all 150 Psalms completely memorized, but he really wrestles with this word righteousness or the idea that I am in a good relationship with God. He knew that he was starving himself and beating himself and torturing himself so that maybe God would like him through these acts. He's reading through his Bible and he comes across many things that help him, but one especially is from what I just read in Romans 1.17. He reads, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and then he reads a righteousness that comes by faith. Not by your works, not by anything you do, by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he thinks this is fabulous. Everyone ought to know about this. So he writes 95 theses or 95 complaints or points of discussion, and he nails them to the church door at the castle in Wittenberg. Now, this is not a rebellious act. This was the neighborhood bulletin board. People were nailing stuff up there all the time. And he he did it on October 31st, this date, 504 years ago, 1517, because the next day, November 1st, is All Saints Day, and the church would be full. Um, uh, Academics and theologians and priests, they could all come together and maybe have a nice civil discussion about the 95 things he posted. Well, that's not the way it turned out. The, the Catholic authorities saw that and they saw a rebel. They saw someone that needs to recant of what he's written. That's wrong, Martin. You're a heretic. Recant or die. He's put on trial. Um, they declare him an outlaw. That means anyone can turn him in um, to be executed. He finds refuge in the castle of, of a friend named Elector Frederick. So he's kind of being protected by this friend who has a castle, and he spends time there. And in that time, he um, translates the Bible from Latin, which almost nobody could read, to German, the, 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 word, uh, the, the language of the people. So now everyone could read these words about where righteousness comes from. And because the Bible has been made so easily accessible to these people and now to us, it gets us back to biblical truth. So there's a whole bunch on Martin Luther in just a brief span. Now let's talk about what some of this means for us in 2021. First of all, I want to stress that Martin Luther and the Reformation are useful to us only if they bring us Jesus. This isn't about Martin Luther. This isn't about us being right and them being wrong. This is about the grace of Jesus. And if we celebrate anything today other than that, we are in error. It's fun to celebrate Martin Luther. Um, Laura had that little doll of him, and he was this rebellious, beer-drinking German monk who shook his fist at authority, and we like that kind of stuff. And there are great stories about this character. You should read about him. It's fun to think about him and celebrate him. Uh, He married a former nun, and he had to kind of get her out of her cloister by hiding her in a pickle barrel. I mean, great stories. (laughs) True. More and more like that. But Martin Luther and the Reformation are of zero value to us if they don't bring us Jesus. If you read in Colossians 1, in most Bibles, the heading will say the supremacy of Christ. And some of those words for us this morning. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Martin Luther and the Reformation are only of value, value to us if they bring us Jesus. In, in some traditional services, we don't necessarily do it in our traditional services here, but we could, there's a processional cross. Have you seen it? It's, it's a cross on a pole. And sometimes the people processing in will carry that in and put it in its place. And in some liturgical settings, the congregants are asked to turn and face the cross and kind of follow it on its way up until it's put in place. Now, certainly, that kind of stuff can be um, misused and become a religious act that you've got to do this to be a good Christian. That's not the point at all. But I appreciate the point of it. It's the reminder that Christ is the center, that this is about him My existence, all of existence, is about Christ. And if Martin Luther and the Reformation don't bring us Jesus, then they are of no value. How are you with that? Is Jesus the center of your life? Is he your life? Is he your all in all? Is he your beginning and your end? Is he what you think about in the morning? Is he who you are thanking at the end of your evening? Do you see everything? everything in existence through the lens of someone who knows that Christ is their core. So the Reformation really is about getting the church back to the Bible, which means getting the church back to Jesus. And now three core teachings. Some of you will be very familiar with these. These are very basic Lutheran teachings, but they're biblical teachings. They're the three solas. George mentioned those earlier. Sola is Latin for solo, by itself. Three things that stand by themselves. And Martin Luther taught from the Bible about sola gratia, or grace alone. Only by grace, the Bible says, you are saved. And we need to back up just a little bit to understand why it works that way. We need to back up one step and understand that original sin brings the curse to all of creation. Um, Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden brought the curse to all of creation. Everything is broken and unable to help itself. And we know that clearly from the Bible, verse after verse. One of the most explicit places is in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. As for you, you were what? Dead. What can dead people do for themselves? Nothing. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. When rebellion came into existence against God, it broke everything. Nothing can help itself. So this idea that the church was teaching that you can just give money, do some stuff, or or beat yourself, or starve yourself, or do a good work, or, or help the lady across the street, or just not kill anybody, and that will get you in. No, dead people cannot help themselves. It must come from without, not from within. The hymn writer says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, I come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, I too, your fountain fly, wash me savior or I die. Original sin broke everything. Romans 5, 12 helps us here. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. So the curse broke everything. Sin and rebellion broke everything, but Martin Luther found in the Bible 
about grace. We are saved only and completely by the undeserved gift of God. That's what makes us righteous, not by doing good, not by being religious people. Now, from out of our salvation, we do good. We ought to live in God's um, direction, but not in order to get us in. Grace by itself Not grace along with my efforts, not grace along with my good attitude, not grace because I come to church every weekend, not grace plus the fact that my grandfather founded a church. Grace by itself. Sola gratia. Um, One of the cores to the Christian faith is Ephesians 2. It really lays out clearly that there's nothing that we do to gain God's good favor. And Martin Luther found this. It reads, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were, there it is again, dead, in transgressions. And then it's laid out plainly. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then here it is as plain as day. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, but it's a gift from God, not by works so that nobody can boast. (laughs) By grace we are saved, a gift from God. You don't do it yourself, so none of us can say, the reason I'm getting into heaven is because I've done stuff. A free gift of God. Nathan Cole is a a writer in early America. He was a farmer in 1741 in Connecticut, and even though he was a farmer, he was a bit of an intellect. A religious guy, he loved God. And a man came through preaching the gospel of grace, and Nathan Cole wrote this. My hearing him preach gave me a heart wound, And by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up and I saw that my righteousness could not save me. Nathan Cole heard God's word. It's not what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Martin Luther wrote a a very famous um, commentary on Galatians. He wrote a lot of stuff. And a, a quick portion of it that will help us here. He writes, Christian righteousness, God inputs it to us apart from our works. In other words, if I try to fulfill the law, what God requires of me. If I try to do that myself, I couldn't trust in what I accomplished, neither could it stand up to the judgment of God. But I rest only upon the righteousness of Christ, which I do not produce, but receive. God the Father freely gives it to me through Christ Jesus. Can you imagine Martin's relief when he found out that he doesn't have to behave himself into heaven? He was trying so hard and failing miserably because the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin, our desperation, the darkness that we live in, and our hurt, and God does the healing. So that's the first sola, sola gratia, by grace alone. And then Martin found in the Bible that there's another sola, by faith alone. Sola fide, faith alone. The Latin word fide, semper fidelis, right? The Marine Corps, always faithful. If you bought a a stereo back in the day, in my day, it was high fidelity. What did that mean? Well, it was faithful to the original sound. It was faithful. By faith alone. Romans 1.17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness being made right with God that is how? By faith. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live, not by beating yourself, not by putting coins in the thing, 
but righteous people, people made right by God, will live by faith. Martin Luther's partial definition of faith reads this way. Faith is God's work in us that changes us and gives us new birth from God. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. The fact that you have a relationship with God is on account of him. It's not because you squeezed your hands together real tight and crunched your eyes in prayer, make me faithful. It doesn't bubble up from within. It is a gift from God, saved by grace through faith, those two alone. It it has to be that way. The Bible speaks about it again and again. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's got to be God's free gift. This criminal had no ability to do anything good. He's nailed to a cross. He's going to be dead in a couple minutes. Faith, grace, God's gift to even this criminal that brought him into righteousness and a right relationship with God. Faith is a gift. So where do we get this gift? I want more faith, don't you? It's in God's word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. We we talk about it a lot around here because it's that important. Read God's word. It's not this um, command from the guy at the front of the church making you feel bad, but it is so full of God's grace, it will change you forever. It will increase your faith. There are statues of Martin Luther around the world, and some don't have this, but many do. It's not advancing. Can you put the statue of uh, Martin Luther up? Yeah, so almost exclusively, he's holding a Bible. He's the one saying, look, let's get back to the Bible. This is God's grace for us. Um, There's even one that's kind of awkward that he's holding it and he's like really pointing at it. It's on the campus of one of our Lutheran camp. And, And okay, great job, sculptor. But he really wanted to make the point like, it's right here. It's God's word for us. Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted... It's been given to you. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, have faith, but to suffer for him also. So that brings us to our third solo, and it ties in nicely. Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone. And you'll understand in a moment why this was so important in 1517 and why it's so important for us today. But let's understand a little bit about this gift we've been given in God's holy word. All scripture is God-breathed, 2 Timothy says, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Martin Luther's time, there was some confusion. The Roman Catholic Church had and still has three areas of authority. The Bible, they looked to the Bible for things about God and Christianity, but they also looked to tradition, the way the apostles did things, and the way the ancient church did things, and they held to those things, even if they may have been in error. And then they have this strange thing called the magisterium. That is the ability of the church leaders to tell you about God stuff, 
I guess they claim it's from the Holy Spirit. I can't really speak for them. But this can come in the form of councils or meetings or even the Pope. He can say stuff that is um, true. But we look at those things and hold them against the Bible and we say, it's not in here anywhere. And actually some of the things you're saying are kind of anti-Bible. This idea of purgatory that I talked about earlier and many other things. So Martin Luther said, it's, it's all right here. Only the Bible, sola scriptura, will be our source of authority. And we know that we can trust the Bible because it's sufficient. We've talked about this before. Everything that God wants you to know about him, wisdom, relationships, is given to us in this book. It's enough. If it's not in here, God didn't want us to have it, at least not at this time until we go to be with him. 2 Timothy 3.17, I just read part of this, uh, that the man of God may be what? Complete. We have enough. It's sufficient. We're informed, we're fully instructed as far as God is concerned, equipped for every good work. Jesus criticizes the Sadducees because they don't believe in a resurrection. And he criticizes them and says, is this not the reason that you're wrong? Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. He's pointing at his word and saying, you're wrong because you don't know the word. And then he goes on to say, have you not read God's word to find out his truth. The Bible's sufficiency means that it's everything that God wants us to have. I I have to tell you, and if I can be a little direct here, um, Christian friends on social media from time to time will put baffling things like their horoscope. And I think to myself, oh, glory. They don't know that everything they need to know about God is here, not there, in the occult, which, by the way, this teaches against So if you are a follower of Jesus and you deal with things, tarot cards, um, the occult, um, horoscopes, the people who supposedly tell you about your future, that's not for us. It's dangerous. That's dark. It has real power, but it's not from the power of the light. It's from the power of the dark. Be in God's word. God's word is uh, uh, infallible without mistakes, and I love this because it means we can trust every part of it, and we can also trust every part of ourselves to it. The fact that God's word is infallible without mistakes means we can trust every part of it and trust every part of ourself to it. And finally, we'll end here. Uh, Under sola scriptura, God's word is clear. God's word is clear. Jesus says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And then he he says, and that is is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is telling us that this book overall is a clear message that leads to Jesus. Now you will say, uh, Pastor Mark, I've read stuff in the Bible that's not very clear. (laughs) And I have too, and I wrestle with it. And I I find other um, godly men and women who've written about it, and I discuss it, and I still come up going, oh, this is a... And that's okay. The point here is that explicitly and implicitly, the Bible overall is a book that leads directly to Jesus. Well, how can that be in the Old Testament? Let me give you an example, if you don't mind. The story of David and Goliath. We've preached on that here a lot. And oftentimes it is preached, um, you know, who is your Goliath? Who is your giant that needs to be slayed? Or have courage? Or what will your five smooth stones be as you go into battle? And that's okay. I've even preached on that myself from here. But let's set that aside Let's find Jesus in this story. How about the idea that David was a champion? In other words, one representative whose actions could either deliver a whole people or cause them to come to doom. Remember how the battle with Goliath went. If David wins, all of Israel is free. If David loses, they become enslaved to the the Philistines. So he goes out and wins. 
and wins freedom for his entire people. That sounds like Jesus to me. One man went to the cross and won freedom for all of us. And oh, by the way, there's interesting details if you read about it. Um, Goliath's um, armor was, was um, a scale armor made of little, little pieces of square so it could be flexible. Scales. Hmm. Some commentators would say that's a reference to the serpent in the Old Testament, a snake with scales. Um, David Stone hits the giant and he falls and he goes up and cuts off his head. Some commentators would say, hmm, that sounds like Eve in the Garden of Eden using her heel to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is in that story. This book we have is clear. It is a unified story that leads to Jesus. So we've moved fast and we've covered a lot today. God reformed his church using a humble monk named Martin Luther to get us back to the truth of the Bible. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. I like to end like we always end with a prayer, but again, we'll use a a prayer written by and prayed by Martin Luther. Uh, The words will be on the screen. Let's pray this together. Let's stand to pray this to wrap up our message this morning. And instead of just, and I'm not saying that we do that, but let's really pray these words instead of kind of just reading them from the screen. Pray this with me. Behold, Lord, an empty vessel that needs to be filled. My Lord, fill it. I am weak in faith. Strengthen me. I am cold in love. Warm me and make me fervent that my love may go out to my neighbor. I do not have a strong and firm faith. At times I doubt and am unable to trust you altogether. O Lord, help me. Strengthen my faith and trust in you. In you I have sealed the treasures of all I have. I am poor, you are rich, and came to be merciful to the poor. I am a sinner, you are upright. With me there is an abundance of sin. In you there is the fullness of righteousness. Therefore, I will remain with you of who I can receive but of whom I may not give. Amen.